This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where each and every week we are two things principally, dear audience. One, relentlessly curious. Two, steadfastly non-ideological. And sometimes we're also kind of a family show. Now, I know in a general sense we're always a family show, but today, as we have been occasionally in the past, we're a CBS family show. <laughs> and we are joined by not only broadcast journalism royalty, but we are soon going to be joined by restaurant royalty. Uh, the broadcast journalism royalty, Nora O'Donnell, anchor of the CBS Evening News and managing editor of that broadcast. Nora, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining wow, us. Wow, thank you for my inaugural visit to exactly. the takeout. Hopefully I'll be back many times. I mentioned restaurant royalty. We're at Chef Jeff's. Uh, you know Chef Jeff, don't you, Nora? Yes, I'm sleeping with him. <laughs> That's not a revelation to anyone. I am married to him. That's good. That's the good news. Exactly. <laughs> and he is the uh, the owner of Chef Jeff's, as well as other restaurants in Washington, some of which we have taken this show to, Tortilla Coast and Cafe Deluxe, but we're in Chef's Hangout right here on New Mexico mm-hmm. Avenue, the Northwest D.C. So, Nora, I just want to talk to you a little bit about why we're doing the show with you, because it is to not only memorialize, but celebrate something very big in the history of the CBS Evening News. Tell our audience what it is if they don't already know. Uh, well, we are, we've launched the CBS Evening News here in Washington, D.C., the only evening news broadcast uh, to originate from our nation's capital. Uh, never before has that happened. Um, during the Huntley Brinkley days, uh, they did half of their broadcast from Washington. And so this is, I think, continuing in many ways what is a history of innovation at CBS News. If people don't know, actually CBS created the evening newscast over 70 years ago. CBS was also the first to have a broadcast in color. And, um, and so hopefully this continues the tradition of CBS kind of catapulting into the future in terms of broadcasting history. And we did a little, as you might imagine, dear audience, uh, some promotional work to announce this. Zoe, that's soundbite number one. Let's take a listen to that. Our nation's capital. Decisions are made here that affect all of us. And today, more than ever, people want truth, understanding, and accountability. So join us every evening as we bring you CBS News original reporting from around the world. One thing I want to ask you, Nora, about the idea of bringing the show to Washington. Um, I spent a lot of time, as you well remember, 
on the 2016 campaign. I met a lot of Trump supporters. I met a lot of people who don't like Washington all that much, and they are displeased with what they see, or they're prepared intellectually or emotionally to tune it out. Mm -hmm. Are we trying to get them to hear from Washington more or get them to speak their displeasure to Washington more? The reason that we wanted to bring the broadcast to Washington is because it fits in line with the values of CBS. What are we good at at CBS? We're good at reporting. Mm -hmm. We're good at breaking news. We're good at storytelling. And contextualizing the day as well as reporting yeah, on it. And CBS has always been very strong in Washington in mm-hmm. terms of um, of its reporting. And so it's my background being a reporter. This allows me in some ways to return back to my roots and my strengths. You and I first met as reporters covering Congress covering many, many years ago. Way back in the day when, when we were in our 20s. Yes. <laughs> Longer ago for me than you. Yes. Um, good times. And so, um, but look, you know, you forget that just about every decision that affects our lives has a nexus to Washington. Think about um, weather, right? And extreme weather and climate change. Um, healthcare policy. You know, everybody in America is upset about their health care, right? I mean, I, I'm upset about sometimes my health care. Sure. Um, uh, you know, uh, trade policy, gun much, policy, gun policy, taxes. Yes, I mean regulation. Thank you for finishing my sentences. <laughs> and <laughs> I only do that on this show, never anywhere else, folks. So all of those things. I mean, for instance, just yesterday, you know, um, I, I've been wanting to do something on Rosa Parks because December fifth marks uh, the anniversary of the Montgomery bus boycott, which then, of course, led into the civil rights mm-hmm. movement and Rosa Parks. Well, guess what? The Library of Congress just happens to be having its um, the first ever exhibit of Rosa Parks. So I was able to zip over there quickly. Right. We'll have something on Thursday night's broadcast about that. So these are the kind of opportunities that Washington affords us and for me to really get out there and rather than just be seated at a desk anchoring. I want to play for our audience also. This, Zoe, is soundbite number two. This is you talking as you took on the anchor chair about the legacy of the very broadcast you're the managing editor of. Number two, Zoe. There's a great legacy here at CBS News of the finest journalists. One of them was Edward R. Murrow, who eloquently captured the power of television when he said, this instrument can teach, it can illuminate, yes, and even it can inspire, but it can do so only to the extent that humans are determined to use it to those ends. Otherwise, it's nothing but wires and lights in a box. There is a great and perhaps decisive battle to be fought against ignorance, intolerance, and indifference. This weapon of television could be useful. To Mr. Murrow, we will try to use it well and with integrity. That is really something that I think for every one of us who is lucky enough to work for CBS is part of our inspiration. It's part of the shadow that we carry with us every single day we come to work. Edward R. Murrow and that legacy and that standard. That was my closing, what I wrote for my closing night, uh, anchoring the CBS Evening News. And that's a famous Edward R. Murrow speech called the Lights in a Box speech. And, um, you know, I was struggling the night before with what can I say that's meaningful and also inspiring to other people at CBS News. And, um, and I use that to really make the point that what we do is incredibly important in this field of journalism and especially broadcast journalism, the box that is television, although it's no longer a box. It's now like a thin <laughs> rectangle or it's on our phone, phone, I guess, or whatever it is. It's an iPad. Yes. Um, that it, that it can inspire, it can illuminate. And I always say that the, what journalism can do um, is not only inspire, but it can also hold the powerful accountable. Mm-hmm. It can expose abuse. It can ex- expose corruption. And that's the power of television, I think, in many ways, too, our reporting in Washington. We're, we're tough on the president. 
We're tough on members of Congress because we're supposed to be. Right. That's the role of a in democracy. That's part of a free press. It was enshrined, um, you know, it was the First Amendment. They didn't make it the 10th the Amendment. Nope. They made it the First Amendment for a reason. And so I take that really seriously, and I think it makes our democracy stronger. And I know that makes some people not like the media or the press. But think about the abuse and corruption that the press has exposed. And, um, and it does our democracy good. And some in my audience may know Edward R. Murrow as this kind of marble-like figure of American journalism. I want to give my audience a chance to listen to something. Broadcast on CBS, November 25th, 1960. You may know the name of this documentary, but you'll hear it at the end. Let's play that, Zoe. That's number three. This is an American story that begins in Florida and ends in New Jersey and New York State with the harvest. It is a 1960 Grapes of Wrath that begins at the Mexican border in California and ends in Oregon and Washington. It is the story of men and women and children who work 136 days of the year and average $900 a year. They follow the sun. They are the migrants, workers in the sweatshops of the soil, the harvest of shame. That's the name of the broadcast, The Harvest of Shame. And to your point, Nora, television journalism can be lights in a box or it can be poetic, hold the powerful accountable, and illuminate in ways that... Having spent 14, 17 years in print journalism before I got into television, I know print can't do. Print can do many wonderful things. We and I both know this. But television has a special acute power. It does. And you know, it was interesting. I was just talking to an investigative producer who said one of the things that we can do is explore um, explanatory journalism. Right. And so we can take people with television cameras and explain what's happening somewhere in America or in Congress. And are we, you know, I think there's a a burden that we face. Are we doing that with the current charges against the president and the impeachment scandal? Have we explained the importance of Ukraine to U.S. national security? Um, Have we fully dove into in a digestible way for the American people about the efforts of Russia Iran and China to influence our elections and how they're doing it through technology and other ways. And actually, they're seeking to divide us. So anybody that thinks, oh, Americans are so divided, we are. But actually, we have foreign governments that are trying to sow division and discourse. Use that division against us. Use that division We've against us. we talked about us. that on the program many times. Yeah, and so, but to your, to your point about... Um, uh, that that particular broadcast, how can we explain some of the most difficult issues of our time? Because that's important to have an informed electorate, to have a functioning democracy. That's the voice of Nora O'Donnell. Stay with us for segment two. It's Chef Jeff's. Stay tuned. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. I am with our special guest, Nora O'Donnell. We're at Chef Jeff's. Uh, That's kind of an in-family emolument, I guess, you know. (laughs) The Constitution is silent on that, though, Did we sign up with standards on this? Exactly. We're paying the bill. (laughs) Exactly. And there's Chef Jeff right there. How's everybody doing? Hello. Say hello, Chef Jeff. That's right. Look, you brought us pizza. We didn't even ask for pizza. 
I don't even think I'm going to get my Chef Jeff's burger. I'm just going to eat all these appetizers. There we go. So this is this is this is this is the wow. highest pinnacle of service. We yes. get you and Patrick. Yeah, well, uh, Patrick's better at service than I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, don't run yourself down, Jeff. You are doing a fabulous job. Incredible slouch. <laughs> Best slouch I've ever met. Thank you, honey. There we go. So, yes, this, the broadcast is now in Washington, um, but it's still a national and international broadcast. And we do at CBS a tremendous amount of international coverage, more than our competitors oftentimes. And that is to do what? Why do we, why do we hold on to that when our competitors run in the other direction? Well, uh, I still happen to believe that America is the most powerful country in the world. Um, you know, certainly our military might makes us number one in the world. Um, you know, we contribute a lot to foreign aid and we send our troops all around the world. And so we should report about what's happening in those places where American taxpayer dollars are going and where we're spending blood and treasure. And so Charlie Daggett has gone back and forth to Syria multiple times to explain what's going on there. Elizabeth Palmer yes. to Iran, you know, behind the scenes and also to uh, Moscow. Holly Williams has also been in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, um, each of these places where we have American interests. You know, I heard the number the other day and uh, I, that we have something now like more than three dozen bases between Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Military bases. Yeah. I was stunned to hear that. I knew because I had traveled with Donald Rumsfeld after 9-11 that part of the reason even after, you know, this longest war that's going on in Afghanistan, um, that we're keeping bases there is because we want a presence there. It's almost kind of like what we're doing in South Korea, yes. where we've had a presence since the Korean War. Even then, there's really no war going on. Right. There's a strategic interest in, in having a foothold in that part of the world. And a couple of months ago on this very program, we talked in Austin, Texas, to Admiral William McRaven. Oh, he's amazing. And he said, you know, look, we're going to stay in these places for a long time. And he said, look, when I was developing the very first counterterrorism strategy for the Bush administration after 9-11, I was told by an academic, you're putting political contours to this, and you have to, but you have to think about terrorism as the way we think about fire in our local communities. Mm-hmm. We station fire stations, we inform the public on ways to minimize risk, and when there's a fire, the fire department deploys. But they have to be near the place where the fire is likely to happen to be of any use. That's conceptually how we have to think about this global war on terrorism. That was a metaphor that I thought was incredibly instructive, one we don't hear very often in Washington, but actually simplifies it, illuminates it, as you describe what we're doing. And that's why we have to do these stories in Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, and elsewhere. Yeah, and and not unlike that. You know, we always say the best way to cover a story is get as close to it as you can. It should be there. That's why our news news organizations spend an enormous amount of money flying reporters all around the country to get close to a story to tell to tell that story also why we wanted to be in washington is to get as close to a story as you can um, not only because this is a historic impeachment of the president of the united states this inquiry the 2020 presidential election some of the issues that are a broken system here in washington um and to be able to cover that story as best we can you've watched politics play out as i have for a very long time. You've seen... Am con- I supposed to eat while Yes, we you talk? were supposed to eat. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think you should take one of those pizza pizza and, 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 give, it to the, and give it to the crew. Yeah. Close. The crew I'm eats behind not, camera. I'm glad you're not fussy about No, I'm foods. not fussy. No. I'm not either. Mm-mm. I knew you were never a fussy type. <laughs> Major Garrett. That's right. <laughs> we eat on camera. We enjoy food on camera. Mm-hmm. And we enjoy what 
food does, as your husband well knows, mm -hmm. food enhances every single conversation. It does. Food changes everything. Mm -hmm. Food changes how you orient yourself. This isn't a bright lights, big city interrogation. As I always say, it's a conversation. So you've watched politics and you've watched the media. We've both lived through this era of tremendous change in the media. Mm -hmm. The business model is under stress. People doubt us in ways they didn't when you and I first got into this business. Doubting the media has always been part of the American syndrome. But it seems more intense now. How do we address that? How do you think about that when we think about what we're doing every day? Look, I think, um, you know, in part of my traveling across the country to our affiliates and talking about what right. the CBS Evening News is going to be, I've said, look, there are plenty of channels out there. If you're seeking affirmation, we're delivering information. And I think that's true. I mean, that's largely largely true of the broadcast networks. And I think CBS holds a standard, a gold is the gold standard of journalism. And um, we're... We are extremely popular in rural areas, mm -hmm. you know, and I think many conservatives like CBS News because they think CBS News is fair, you know, more so than perhaps other channels that they may watch. And so um, that's one way I look at it. But I think in terms of what's driving this division, mm -hmm. there's a couple of different factors in my view. One is you have an entire uh, financial media complex that is making money off division and rhetoric. So you have... Uh, on cable, you have Fox News Channel, where I know you used to work. Mm -hmm. You have NBC and MSNBC Comcast, where I used to be a part of that. Right. Um, you have CNN. These are channels that make an enormous amount of money through subscriber fees on cable. And they are looking at a business model. And that business model, they have found out, is to offer partisan talk. Conflict sells. Conflict. I don't think that that's, um, that's a type of media, certainly. It's a type of television um, and while some of them do have elements of broadcast journalism, their sole purpose is not journalism. That's very different from what we do. We do not, um, we are very strict about conflicts of interest, mm -hmm. um, you know, above board, that some of our, you know, those channels don't have similar standards that we adhere to. We talk to multiple sources before we report something. Um, you know, so we have a there are lots of stories we do that go through a very rigorous process. You know, on 60 Minutes, there are lawyers in the room that look all at things time. all the time, you know. There's all kinds of, you know, there's standards and practices that review yes. things that are that are yes. of, of high intensity for evening right. news or CBS this morning. And I only say that because I want people to feel like they can trust the product that we put on, on the air. That doesn't mean you can't criticize us or right. let us know that you don't like it. But right. I want people to trust that process because we are trying to deliver fact-based news every day, real news that you can trust so that people can make informed decisions. I want to know what the truth is, and I also just think that. You know, I think part of what we do, too, is whether it's Steve Scalise, you know, um, the House uh, Minority Leader, who um, is one of the most conservative members of Congress. Right. He spoke with me for 60 minutes. Joe Biden has spoken with me for sure. 60 minutes. So, you know, on this I know very program, we've had more Trump cabinet officials than any program that doesn't air on Fox. Yes. Right. We seek out and we've had plenty of progressive liberals who denounce. And so we have this conversation that goes back yeah. and forth. Right. Getting to the people who are in the in the room or who make the decisions is what matters. We Both sides. We still continue to report critically about Democrats. We report critically about Republicans when they uh, may do something that deserves our money. And yet we still have conversations with them. That's part of the process that has existed in the past. So I do think that's part of this financial media conglomerate that is driving apart and causing division. Number two, I also think that there's a real issue that comes with redistricting in America. You and I are both old Hill rats. Mm -hmm. 
I used to cover a lot of congressional races. We have in this country, it started in many ways in 2000 under Newt Gingrich. It was a strategy to make districts more red and blue districts more blue so that they're easily reelected. We have less districts in America that really have you going out there and fighting to try and get some Democratic or Republican votes or moderate votes to get elected. You really just now only have to win the primary. And that makes that makes Congress uh, more liberal and more conservative over here and less people here in the middle. Right. And I'm reading a book right now called The Big Sort that Anthony Salvanto, our head of polling, oh. and I talk about regularly. And that talks about something that is in addition to redistricting, which is since the mid-1990s, Americans, because of their wherewithal, are moving into communities that are more like themselves. And we have a higher percentage than we've ever had before of landslide counties and landslide communities in our country. Even when elections are close, the neighborhoods that we live in are one or the other, liberal or conservative. And we are self-moving ourselves into places of shared values, shared orientations. Well, that self-segregating. Self-segregating. Right. That, and that's separate from the politicians. The politicians aren't ordering us to do that. We're doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is intensifying. Meaning we're, we're living next to people and going to church with people and going to of people that have the same political beliefs that we do. We're not... We're not um, spending time with people who may disagree with us and who can enlighten us to change our own views. Exactly. That's the voice of Nora O'Donnell, our special guest here at The Takeout, because this is a family program, a CBS News family. And I'm delighted that Nora's with us. We're at Chef Jeff's. He was here delivering our appetizers. We're diving into all that. Back for segment three in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back for segment three. Patrick, Chef Jeff was here. He says you're better than he is. I don't know That's a high bar. I don't but, know about that. But Patrick, uh, Nora, what would you like to have in addition to all these fantastic appetizers that Chef has j- showered upon our table? I will have just a little um, small kale Caesar since I've already eaten a couple <laughs> slices of pizza with light dressing. Yes, and I'll have the Chef Jeff burger with cheese and bacon, please. Oh, Thank you. Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> medium well pl- Medium plus. Which is not medium well. It's in between medium and medium well. Medium right. plus. We'll I've what, invented it. We'll see what Jeff has to say about medium plus. <laughs> it's a thing, Nora. Trust me. It's, it's a thing. It's, it's absolutely changing the world. Okay. For your side, you have an option of uh, regular fries, sweet potato fries, or small salad. For oh, regular fries. Regular right. fries. That's very simple. That's very simple. Thank you, Patrick. Of course. I'll Thank you. Right Thank you. Uh, so... Tell uh, my audience, Nora, which is 50 radio stations around the country, the CBSN audience, and podcast subscribers, a little bit about yourself. Is this the pinnacle job for you? It is. You know, I didn't, it was not a job that I ever thought I would have. Um, I never thought I was going to anchor the CBS this morning. Um, you know, I, I planned to, I spent my time first as a print reporter for Roll Call. And then um, I joined NBC News and covered the White House, the Pentagon, and Congress. The opportunity came up to join CBS News, and they offered me the job of chief White House correspondent covering the Obama administration and also as the chief substitute on Face the Nation for Bob Schieffer. And I thought, wow, to be able to fill in for Bob Schieffer, you know, that, that's an incredible opportunity. And so I left NBC after about a dozen years and joined a CBS and kind of just always thought that I would work here in Washington. And then uh, after about a year of doing the chief White House correspondent job, I was offered the opportunity to join Gail King and Charlie Rose, who then integrated that program on CBS this morning and, um, you know, kind of uprooted my whole life 
to go to New York. And um, and Jeff, who continued to own restaurants here, we commuted back and forth. He did most of it because the kids went to school in New York. And um, it was a great journey. It was a great opportunity. It really kind of stretched me journalistically. And also, um, and then this... Uh, I was offered when Susan Zrinsky became the president of CBS News. She offered me the opportunity. She's to been a guest on this very program. She has. She I missed has. that one. You should listen uh, okay. to that one. It's fifty-five minutes of absolute Zrinsky brilliance. She's unbelievable. Talking about someone who was there in the Washington bureau mm-hmm. during Watergate. I mean, saw it all. In fact, did she tell you the story that when they announced Roger Mudd has written a book that's called The Place to Be, mm-hmm. which is really about the heyday of the Washington bureau, which was, um, you know, Cronkite wanted that to compete with the Huntley Brinkley. And so Bob Schieffer was there, Roger Mudd, Eric Severide. So when um, Cronkite was leaving and uh, Dan Rather got offered the job of evening news anchor and not Roger Mudd, Z says that she saw Roger Mudd holding a cup of coffee and that he just went like this and crushed the cup of coffee. And it wasn't styrofoam. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She didn't say she had to do, you know, like surgery on his hand or take him to the hospital. I think it was styrofoam. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, she's seen it all. Is the yes. way she's seen it all. So that's the that's the quick of my at least broadcasting um, career. So I, this is not a this is not a job that I ever thought that I would do. But I am I'm thrilled. Mm-hmm. And that era, uh, we have the portraits in New York and in Washington in our bureau. Uh, if you ever you, you get a chance to take a tour, there are tours made available to you. You can see them. <laughs> you have to buy them at an auction. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For a charity. For yes. A charity. Exactly. Yeah. Or no, or no one, somebody. That is to say, when you work at CBS, you live with the living embodiment of Eric Severide, Roger Mudd, Bruce Morton, mm-hmm. Connie Chung, all these people who defined, I think for an entire generation, if not two generations, how you meld journalism and television. Sure. How you take the sensibilities of the career that you and I both started in, print journalism, mm-hmm. the rigor, the intensity, the focus, and then wrap it around this special medium which is evocative, which creates emotion, which mm-hmm. creates responses. Sure. Video and audio bring an emotional response in ways a print medium simply cannot. Absolutely. And there's a different way. I mean, I can remember as a print journalist for Roll Call, then joining NBC News, and writing for television is a lot different Completely. than writing for print, you know? Writing to sound bites. It's a, it's a much different craft. Matching and it's a your skill. words to the pictures, not overwriting them, yeah. but learning how to underwrite, learning how just to say enough that let the pictures carry the emotion and the information. Yeah, and we're in a new era now with this president because um, whether you like him or not, he is an incredibly effective communicator for his own goals. I like to tell the story that when um, I covered George W. Bush and was out there when he was governor of Texas and his first trip from Iowa to New Hampshire, it was called the Great Expectations Tour. And um, and Bush used to always say about us, the media, he'd say, you guys are the filter. <laughs> The filter. I hate talking through the filter. (laughs) Well, Trump has managed to do away with the filter. Mm -hmm. There is no filter on Twitter. He gets to say exactly what he wants. He gets to send it. There's no press releases really anymore at the White House. He just puts it out. There are no press briefings. There are no press briefings. There's just him. The president just goes out to the lawn and and speaks while the chopper is is swirling around. And it's difficult for reporters to ask, ask questions. So that's how much it has changed even just in, you know, my short period as a as a journalist covering the White House about how presidents communicate. And it's also true of this president. And if Stephanie Grisham, his now third press secretary here, which she would say it, 
he's the most accessible president ever. He takes more questions than any president in the modern era. And that's certainly been my experience. My experience goes back to President Clinton. Donald Trump will talk to us all the time. Nearly two hours yesterday in yeah. London. Mm-hmm. Three different photo opportunities that turned into mini press conferences. Yeah. Because he knows he can command the stage. He loves to command the stage. And he loves to churn that which he uniquely, as president, can churn in the media atmosphere. Which is remarkable. I mean, as you know, for someone who's covered other White Houses, and certainly there's always been a contentious relationship between the press and the president. Think about Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. He hated the press. The Clintons hated the press because there were so many investigations of, you know, what the Clintons were doing. You know, think of the Lincoln bedroom scandal, uh, whether they were auctioning off, you know, areas of the White House for access, for donations, the Whitewater scandal. Paula Travel Jones. office. Yes. Paula, I mean, so that was, but that's part of the oversight that the press certainly does. You know, um, Obama, his Justice Department investigated more journalists than any other uh, Attempted White House. to jail them. Attempted to jail them. James so th- Rosen and James Risen in particular. That's right. So there- Donald Trump's never done that. I point that out to audiences all the time yes. who say Donald Trump is the worst thing in the press. I said, well, yes, his rhetoric is the worst. No question. But he hasn't tried to jail anybody. Yeah. And Obama did it twice. Yeah. So each of these are, you know, the, the, I, I mentioned that contentious relationship. But this president is is so different because of how he rhetorically lambasts the press in calling the press the, the enemy of the American people. And that's a that's a phrase that has not been used by the from the presidents that, that, that I've covered. Right. And will be part of his obituary whenever that day comes. Yeah. You will never be able to escape that. Mm-hmm. Tell my audience a little bit about your upbringing. So my parents, um, well, my, my mom's parents are off the boat from Ireland. And so um, my mother grew up in Queens. My dad's from Staten Island. My dad was drafted during the Vietnam War while he was in med school. So it was the tail end of the Vietnam War. So he didn't end up going to Vietnam, but then spent the next 30 years in the U.S. Army. So I'm an Army brat. You know, I grew up in an Army family. Um, I lived on military bases all around the world um, in Lonstuhl, Germany, when I was younger. Then we went to San Antonio, Texas, where I spent most of my childhood. And then did a two-year term and um, lived in Seoul, South Korea, on Yongsan Air Base there in Seoul, South Korea. And, um, and then came back and did high school in San Antonio, Texas. So I consider myself an Army brat and a Texan. Mm-hmm. And then went to Georgetown University, which is where I met Chef Jeff in the cafeteria. Right. You and know? you got a philosophy a- degree. Amongst food. Yeah. You got a philosophy degree, right? I got a, I got a degree in philosophy um, in part because I loved reading and writing. You know, and I do love, uh, I did take Latin, of course, too, but I don't read Latin or Greek, but I just loved uh, the study of... languages anyway, it's okay. Yeah, um, but I did love the um, the study of ancient philosophy and um, and uh, turned out to be a great major for becoming a journalist. Why? In 30 seconds, why does philosophy help as a journalist? Critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Critical thinking and the belief in absolute truth. I mean, as, well, you can be a relativist too, but an ab- belief in an absolute truth. Or and the I search do, for it, absolutely. In the search for it. And I do believe there are facts and I do believe there are absolute truths. That's the voice of Nora O'Donnell. We're very happy to be at Chef Jeff's here on Northwest Washington, D.C. It's a busy time in Washington for sure, and we're also celebrating and memorializing the move of an important legacy broadcast in America, the CBS Evening News, to Washington, D.C. The managing editor of that broadcast is Nora O'Donnell. The anchor of that broadcast is Nora O'Donnell. She's our special guest. Back for segment four in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Nora O'Donnell is our special guest, anchor and managing editor of the CBS Evening News, my friend and my colleague, and I'm very happy that she's joined us as we celebrate and memorialize the move of the CBS Evening News 
to Washington, D.C., where it's Chef Jeff's. This truffle popcorn is so good. So who yeah. makes it? Is that, is that another <laughs> Chef Jeff creation? It's uh, a Chef Jeff creation, but he doesn't. he's not making it. It's he's not making it. That's it's everybody right. that's talented in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And just in case you missed segment one, uh, Nora O'Donnell uh, sleeps with Chef Jeff. Those are her words, not mine, because they're married. That's okay, kids. Don't worry about it. It's not a scandal. <laughs> So, um, you have been on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. I have been lucky enough to be on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. It's a heady experience. It is, yeah. It's wild to yeah. see how hard he works and how he preps the audience and how engaged the audience is. And I don't know about you, Nora, but as I stood behind stage, I'm like, what if they don't do anything? Yeah. What if I'm announced and like, who? And I say things and they're like, what? Oh, the audience, you and mean? Yeah, that's all dead. It's like just you're just dying out there. I'm like, I'm so afraid of this. Happily, it went okay. It went great for you. But I want to play something. Uh, Zoe, get ready for this. This is number five. So the great comedic writers with Stephen Colbert put together rejected sign-offs oh, for the yeah. CBS Evening News. This was on July 19th, 2019. Zoe, that's number five. These are the rejected uh-huh. sign-offs <laughs> that Nora right. O'Donnell did not want to say. I'm Nora O'Donnell, and you can't make this stuff up, folks. Okay, it would have been good. It would be good. Yes, one? Good night, and good luck with all that. <laughs> I'm Nora O'Donnell, and that Nora O does it. <laughs> that was pretty good. Pretty good. That's okay. good. That's good. Yeah. And that is the CBS Evening News Wow, I need a drink. <laughs> okay, let's just say this, folks. There have been times I've been on the North Line of the White House and I've handed back the broadcast to you, Nora, and I thought to myself, wow. I need a drink. Yes, <laughs> because it is sometimes, and certainly covering this White House, it's like sipping water from a fire hose. I often There's- say it's like sipping from seven. Yeah, right. There's not just one. I wish there were one. I sometimes say I would take one fire hose. I'm kind mm. of used to that in Washington. Yeah. But seven, it feels like some days. It does. It does. Um, not only is there just so... Because the, the, the president is voluminous. Yes. He's verbose. Um, Loves to be. Yes. and But then just the level of detail of everything that goes through. Not only fact-checking the president and everything he says. That takes time. It takes effort. Um, but also just, for instance, every detail of... For instance, um, the impeachment inquiry. Right. You know, all of the information with that. So it's 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 unlike anything I've ever been a part of. So uh, when I talk about being managing editor of the evening news, maybe some in my audience would say, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Help them understand. What does that mean? So that is a title that not every anchor mm-hmm. of either um, the evening news or other evening broadcasts has had. Uh, it's a one that s- people seek. You know, Tom certainly. Brokaw had it, certainly. Um, Scott Pelley had it. Um, Walter Cronkite. Um, and it means not only that you anchor the program, but that you're an editor of the program. So in that, there's a certain responsibility that goes along with that in terms of developing the structure of the program. And so we have many journalists that contribute to the program, and we have writers and producers that all put it together. But I do try and read through every script, um, and everything that I read or, you know, those are words that I've signed off on beforehand. Right. And certainly I have a role in um, what goes on the show every night, deciding which stories we want to cover. And so that's what the managing editor title means. And there is an idea or a notion sometimes in television that someone's a presenter or reader. This elevates that you're still a reader. You're still a presenter. I've been fortunate enough at times to substitute for you. Mm-hmm. 
I felt what that feels like. It's a special responsibility, how you hold the broadcast, how yeah. you present it. Yeah. That's not an immaterial part of this process at sure. all. But the editorial process takes it to another level. Yeah. Sometimes people on television are referred to as talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly takes a lot of talent to do television. There's no in doubt. In my case, of- I always put that in double quotation marks. <laughs> but there is, um, you know, you certainly have to be able to write your own scripts. You have to be able to report and be able to get people on the phone. Um, you have to actually break news, which is hard to do. You know, it's hard to really separate spin from what is actual reporting exactly. and, and report that. And so that's part of, um, you know, the challenge every day is how do we... We want people to watch the CBS Evening News. Why? Because it's going to be more than what you got on your phone and that alert. It's going to be more than what you read in the newspaper. It's going to be more than what you saw on cable television. It's context, depth, clarity. It's breaking news. And I do think we already do that every night. Mm -hmm. Your reporting is that. Our our international correspondents, I mean, they've been doing this for decades. It's just really one of the, always been the brightest spot of CBS News is our international coverage, probably because of Edward R. Murrow and, and his broadcast out of London during World War II. So that legacy continues. And I've read uh, interviews that you've done where you talked about certain stories that got to you mm-hmm. emotionally uh, after Las Vegas and mm-hmm. the shooting there. Other stories, natural disasters, where you see, as we often see in journalism, the juxtaposition, the, the almost incomprehensible juxtaposition of tragedy and intervention that's heroic, that's humane, that's uplifting. Sure. And trying to put all that together and also as you're trying to hold it yourself. Yeah. I mean, look, one of the great things about being a journalist is having a front row seat to history. Now, that's true being a White House correspondent, mm-hmm. no doubt. No doubt. Because you're sitting in the front row of that press briefing room. But as anchor of managing editor of the CBS Evening News, when you travel to Las Vegas, and then I was anchoring the morning show, and then to go into someone's hospital room mm-hmm. who had a bullet go right by their spine and were almost paralyzed and to sit by someone's bedside and talk to them about how they feel that's really that's that's one of the hardest things about this job and in some ways i find calling up or asking tough questions to a politician or to a crown infinitely prince easier infinitely easier and such more, more in my comfort zone than talking to someone who has just lost a family member i mean oh my gosh you know we, we just did that in el paso the walmart shooting and to go inside someone's house and ask them about a parent that is now deceased because of a gunman, it's just, you know, you, you just, you, you feel uncomfortable asking someone questions. Because you, you, you don't want to, but yet they, they do, they invite us into their home because they want to bring focus to that. And so that's a really solemn moment. Mm-hmm. They trust you even though you're an intrusive outsider mm-hmm. and you have to balance that reality. You're an intrusive, you're, you're an intruder. Right. We, we, we in that role are intrusive. Yeah. And yet we have to establish a rapport, a sense of trust, a sense of an emotional connection, and you have to do it really quickly. Yeah. And the only thing I would say about that, just because the word in, intrusive in some ways, like in, I think of an intruder, mm-hmm. you know, and um, the interesting thing is if you ask someone, most of the time people want to talk. Mm-hmm. I right. find that they it, it, really do. How you ask How you ask matters. is incredibly important. And people do ultimately, everyone at the heart of a human experience is to be heard and to be understood. And so we, I think, in some ways, too, also offer people the opportunity to be heard, to be understood, certainly when they've been through a traumatic experience. Um, 
when they've gone through abuse at the hands of an institution, like the Catholic Church, let's say, for instance. I mean, or the Air Force. Or the Air Force. When we did those, that's that. That is one of the most emotional stories I've ever done. Is is talking to cadets at the Air, U.S. female cadets at the U.S. Air Force Academy who had been sexually abused. Yeah. And then dropped out and watched their perpetrator graduate. Yeah. That's one of the most famous sound bites of your. Emmy award-winning investigation. Yeah. I mean, I worked with Jennifer Janish on this um, for six months, and she worked so hard to get many of these cadets to talk to us. I mean, because they're, yeah, they're n- and they're not supposed to talk to the press. They're not even supposed to leave, leave the base in order to talk to us. And these women, you know, anybody who gets into a military academy, if you know, you not only have to be academically uh, superior, you have to be athletically superior. So I think, you know, these, I'm thinking, these are the toughest women I've ever met. Right. And then have suffered um, sexual abuse and sexual harassment, and then to watch them sob in front of me, I just thought, "What are we doing? What are we doing to our best and brightest?" And uh, that that the, that reporting was recognized by an Emmy, and I still think about those women to this day, and why the military really needs to clean it up because we need more women serving, not less. That's the voice of Nora O'Donnell, our very special guest. Stay tuned for the takeout outtake especial, where Chef Jeff will bring us some family secrets. Maybe. I'm Major Garrett. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. For more from this week's conversation, download the Takeout Outtake Especial Tuesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farin, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Eric Susanen and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus.